In John chapter 20, we learn that the disciples were hiding. They hid because they were afraid. I would imagine some of them were terrified. They locked the doors, it says, because they were afraid of the Jews. In Luke's account, these two guys who had just been on the road to Emmaus come in, and they start to tell these guys that they have run into Jesus. They thought he was dead. And while they're telling him the story, Jesus himself appears to them, and he says, peace. Peace. Just when they thought things couldn't get worse, they find out everything has changed. Would you guys stand up with us?
He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. It's our once a year liturgy if you're not with us uh, week to week. But what a great thing. The gospel is simple and glorious and filled with grace. It is simply this believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Believe that he is the Son of God. He died on the cross for your sins in your place and rose from the dead, victorious over sin and death. And when you place your trust in him like that, when you commit your life to him, he forgives your sins, enters your life to lead you. He takes spiritually dead people and makes you alive. And then he continues to work in you until you become like him. 
We are so glad that you are with us this morning to worship our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to celebrate uh, the gospel of grace and to praise him together. And I'm so thankful for the worship team that is doing so many extra songs today and has worked hard this week in preparation. And I'm glad you're here with us to lift one voice with one heart and one mind toward Jesus. Our Lord Jesus changes lives. That's God's signature mark. And so this morning, I'm going to invite uh, Sarah Dirksen and uh, David Palmer to the stage to give us a little bit of testimony about life change. At the same time, I'm going to dismiss our Sunshine Kids Club. And so if you're, uh, and you can sit down. If you're kindergarten through grade five, you can head out to Sunshine Kids Club for a special Easter worship celebration. And if you're a guest, feel free to go over there and, and check them in and get to know the staff. If you guys will come on up here. Yeah, one of us, we'll, uh, we'll sit here when we're not speaking. But uh, scripture makes it clear that God is all about life change and experience confirms that. And so this morning, uh, we're asking Sarah and David, Sarah Dirksen and David Palmer to uh, just give us a little glimpse into their lives about how Jesus has changed you. Good morning. Growing up as the oldest of three daughters, I always strive to make my parents proud of me. And I worked hard to win their approval and others, including God's. As a family, we attended church weekly, but in my teen years, I began to question my faith and stray away from the church, looking for purpose and meaning in other things. During my college years, I searched for happiness and acceptance from partying, short-lived relationships, even success in school and, co and work, but none of these filled the continual emptiness I felt. Even though I grew up in church and believed in God, I didn't know him personally or trust him with my future. However, I began to notice others around me who seemed to have peace in their lives, and I found out that they were committed to what they believed as Christians, which made me curious about how I could experience that kind of peace in my life. A few months later, while I was working in my door-to-door -door summer sales job, I called on a lady who sensed my need to speak about spiritual uh, questions. She asked me if I believed in a heaven and a hell and where I thought I would go when I died. When I didn't have a very solid answer because I really wasn't sure if I had done enough good to go to heaven, she asked me if I would like to see what the Bible said about this. And I agreed. Then she shared verses from Romans about how all people were sinners and that the payment for our sins was death. Then she shared that when Jesus died on the cross, that he took that punishment that should have been mine and paid the price for me so I could be forgiven and spend eternity in heaven with God. At that moment, I understood and I believed and I prayed to ask Christ to save me. I felt a tremendous burden lifted off of my shoulders that day, and I had hope for my future, especially as I began to understand God's promises from his word. I also found peace and confidence in my relationship with Jesus, which fulfilled the emptiness that I had been trying to fill in unhealthy ways. I'm so thankful I've been walking with him these past 30 years 
I can't imagine my life without him. Thank you, sir. Well, good morning. I've been attending here in a member, I guess, almost a year. Uh, my name's David, and uh, this church has really been a blessing to me. Um, I guess just to take you back, I was introduced to the Lord as a young man. I was going down the highway over in southeast Texas with my dad, and I asked my dad, so if you know that Jesus died for you and you believe in that, will you go to heaven? And he said, yes. And I said, well, I want to do that. And so we pulled over on the shoulder of the road, if you can call it that, and walked out near a barbed wire fence, cow pasture, and right there under a tree, I invited Christ into my heart. And it wasn't until years later, and I thought, well, that's a pretty cool story, right? Sounds kind of neat, getting saved by the cows on the side of the road. <laughs> years later, I was in grad school, and we had a missions trip to Brazil when I attended Liberty University. And when we went to Brazil, we had a puppet show, and we would set up this kind of a on-the-road uh, experience for, for kids and families to stop, and we did a, a short presentation of the gospel, and then I gave a, some closing remarks and kind of an invitation for those that were listening. And, um, of course, I, I, I speak in Texan. They were interpreting in Portuguese, right? And so I was able to give that testimony that even on the side of the road, you can ask Christ into your heart. And I was able to share my experience that I carried from that salvation experience to the streets there in Rio. And that'd be a great story to stop right there, right? Wow, that's cool. Then life began to happen, right? And as life began to happen, things got in the way. And Things that I didn't like happened, things that I didn't agree with happened, things that, you know, me, 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 ego, right? I don't like it. And so just as, you remember the disciples were out in the boat, right? And Jesus was walking on the water. And Peter said, Lord, I want to walk on the water too, right? So he got out of the boat. And you remember what Peter did? He took his eyes off the Lord, didn't he? And what happened? He began to sink. And through my adult experience, my eyes came off Christ. Did I lose my salvation experience on the side of the road? Absolutely not. But I took my eyes off the Lord. And through my adult experience, a lot of bad choices happened. A lot of things that hurt people happen. And a marriage was lost. Jobs were affected. There was a lot of things that I'm not proud of. But through all of that, I got through it. A lot of it was the prayer of a great mother and the love of a great God. 
who saw me when I was unlovable. I grew up, probably like a lot of you did, in kind of a performance-based relationship. If you do good, we love you a lot. If you don't do well, we don't love you that much. And I based my view of God on that. If I'm doing well, God loves me. If I'm not, he doesn't. And so through those experiences, I was able to develop very quickly, actually. It didn't take long. It just took repenting, turning. And it took me through the journey of repentance and getting some things right in my life, getting some relationships out of my life that needed to end, starting some good habits, some good behaviors in my life. And I'm attending men's Bible study here. I attend ABF here. I attend church here. And and that's not to say that is cause. That's not that performance-based stuff. That's an outgrowth of trying to put my eyes back on the Lord again. And it's been through the help of some men here at the church, through pastor, through the elders here, through a lot of the men I've met, through men outside of the church that I've met, that have really helped me and encouraged me along the way. And I'm really prayerful and hopeful that that will continue. But the main thing is, just as Peter did, to keep my eyes on the Lord. And that's something that I'm praying to do. And hopefully as you're here today, if you're born again, but yet struggling, please know. This is a hospital. It's a spiritual hospital. It's a place for you to come and get well. And you're accepted as you are. That's so important that we are loved by God for where we are, and he will take us to where he wants us to be. God bless. Thank you, David and Sarah. And uh, as I said, Scripture is full of illustrations and life stories of change being brought by God. And we even have the promise that uh, of Christ that He who began a good work in us will complete it in Christ Jesus. And, and so, uh, we're going to ask a couple of our elders, Brad Hayes and, and Dick Norman, to pray over the church family uh, for ongoing uh, response to Jesus, to keep our eyes on Him, and to. Experience Experience his transformation as he makes us more like himself. You guys want to pray for us? Father, we thank you. We thank you for the, the testimony, the faithfulness, the transformation uh, that you bring through your son, Christ, that you brought into the lives of David and Sarah and all of us that know you. David mentioned Peter a couple of times in uh, 2 Peter Peter reminds us that his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and goodness. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Father, thank you as you work Uh, mightily to transform our lives through the knowledge of you through your divine power father as we um, as the testimonies both expressed as we yield to you so I thank you and I praise you in Christ's name
Romans 12, 2 says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Lord God, I pray for your powerful restoration to do its work in our lives. Thank you, God, that you are a God of restoration, of transformation, of healing hurts and broken hearts. And so we pray, Father, for our church. I want to pray for our church body. I pray that you would do your work here and that you would conform us to your image and that we might become more Christ-like day by day through the power of your word and the power of your spirit. I just thank you for these testimonies today. Thank you for David and Sarah and for their transfer the transformation that has happened in their lives and for them being willing to share that. I commit this time to you and thank you for it and praise, praise and thank you in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with us?
guys can have a seat. We are a people in need of change. We're people who long for change. We're people who would love to just get rid of some bad habits and build on some good ones. We're people that would like to be a little bit smarter sometimes or a little bit nicer or just have better character all the way around. So what do we do? Well, we set New Year's resolutions and those last two or three weeks and then we're back to square one. Or uh, sometimes we go out and uh, get a life coach, get a mentor, and that sticks with us as long as they'll stick with us. Or we just decide we're, we're going to try harder. We're, we're going to give it the old willpower. We're going we're to make it work on our own. And, and that lasts starts well each day, but we make our worst decisions at night because our, our willpower is kind of worn out by then. Uh, the Cheetos on my couch can testify to that. <laughs> and, and, and the ice cream bowls in the sink. So what do we do? All of those things can point us toward some form of change. But the hard part of being human is that the power to change seems to elude us. Sometimes these things work, but deep down we know that we're still the same. And I know that deep down my issues are deep down. So I need an outside power for change. I don't need just something simple like straightening the pictures on the wall. I need complete and ongoing re renovation. And that's possible through the very resurrection of Jesus Christ that we celebrate today. The power that brought Christ forth from the dead now operates in the lives of every follower of Jesus Christ. God's signature mark is life change, new life in Christ, and ongoing life change from the inside out so that we become more like Jesus Christ. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but we celebrate so much more because his power operates in us. All of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, as I said earlier, our sins are forgiven and we've received the free gift of eternal life. Jesus has entered our lives to lead us. All of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ are united to Christ. We are joined to him in a way that makes his death our death and his resurrection our resurrection. And since his resurrection is our resurrection, we read about that in Romans 6, that means transformation is possible in our lives. 
that his resurrection power is available to us. And that gives us great strength and security going forward that we can trust him. Have you ever received a, a new toy or a new tech gadget that did not come with the batteries? That's the worst, right? Well, when we turn to anything other than Jesus Christ, it's like going through life without batteries. Because the difference between Christianity and secularism or atheism or materialism or any of the other things that we pursue is lack of power. They have no batteries. But in Jesus Christ, we have his power through the Holy Spirit. That as we cooperate with him in loving obedience, that he changes us from the inside out. And that's exciting. There are batteries in life with Christ. We have his power through the resurrection. Without the power of Jesus Christ living in you, you cannot have permanent lasting change and you will not receive ongoing change that lasts and the hope of more to come. When we're united to Christ, we have his power within us. Well, the apostle Paul was a follower of Jesus Christ and he was writing from prison one day to a church in Philippi, a little city in Asia Minor, we call it Turkey today. And he was giving them some instructions on how to follow Jesus Christ. He was also giving them in chapter three of that little letter, the little book that we call the, the, the letter to Philippians. He was giving them instructions about his own life. He gave his testimony just like David and, and Sarah did. And as a result of giving that, he isolated what are his greatest passions. That more than anything else, he wanted to know Christ and experience the power of his resurrection. Let's look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. This is what Paul wrote. That I may know him, that's Jesus Christ, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul's greatest passion was to know Christ. Now, a quick word here about Paul's relationship with Christ. Paul did not need to be introduced to Jesus. That's not what he means by knowing Christ. Jesus had arrested his travel on the road to Damascus. He had transformed Paul right there. He had forgiven his sins and entered his life to lead him. And he had commissioned Paul to be his church planter, to be a proclaimer of the gospel throughout the Mediterranean basin there. And so Paul was obedient to that. Paul did not need to get to know Jesus Christ. He had become a follower of Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's writing now about 25 plus years later, as he writes back to this church in Philippi, he's sitting in a prison in Rome. So he's got plenty of time to think, plenty of time to edit, plenty of time to listen to God and, and let the Holy Spirit instruct him on what he wants to communicate here. And Paul says, my greatest passion is to know Christ. Paul, you've known him 25 plus years. You've been telling everybody else about him. So what's he getting at here? As he says, he wants to know. 
He's saying that he wants to know and, and understand and experience all that is the Son of God. He wants to experience that life-giving and life-correcting power of Jesus Christ. He wants that living relationship with Jesus that sustains in triumph and in tragedy. He wants to understand the power of Christ that is sweeter in sorrow and filled with exuberant joy regardless of the circumstances. He wants to experience that peace that can't be explained because it's strictly the power of God's presence in his life. He's known a lot of that, but he wants to experience more. He wants that interpersonal relationship with Jesus Christ to be deeper, that he might love him more completely. Paul signed on for the wild, life-giving adventure of following Jesus Christ, this faith journey that we call becoming like Jesus. Let me tell you a story about one of our family vacations that I think helps us begin to grasp this idea, this life-giving wild adventure of a faith journey and and also illustrate sometimes what we settle for uh, a few years ago we went up to uh, whitefish montana and uh, we were at the ski resort there and we were doing a zip line tour so you're familiar with the, the zip lines you got the cable running from platform to platform in a harness that you know you're just convinced is gonna gonna drop you midway and um and, and so we got on this uh this zip line tour and the uh the zip line number three there were six lines and, and line number three was the most exhilarating it was the life-giving wild adventure that made all of this worth it. It was over 1,900 feet long. Now, that's about a lap and a half around the track, if you can just picture that in your mind as you're flying along above the treetops. The air is somewhat cool, even though you're in the sunshine. The view is indescribable. You just feel alive when you're flying along on this zip line, line number three life-giving wild adventure because by then you have begun to trust the harness you know that it's going to hold you and so you're free to enjoy the ride in fact your your biggest decisions are am i going to you know starfish and try to slow myself down at all or am i gonna you know pull in tight and, and like a missile so that i can just be streamlined and and go as fast as i want and and then you're trying to decide how can i video this thing at the same time because this is me fully alive on the on the mountain Did I mention that it's 300 feet up, 25 stories from the bottom of the Statue of Liberty's base to the top of her crown? That's how high this is. Talk about exhilarating. Talk about life giving. Talk about feeling alive. That's what Paul wants as he dives into Jesus Christ because he has learned to trust him in these 25 years. He's tasted of his goodness. He's experienced the grace that is sufficient for every need that has presented itself in his life. God's signature mark is, is life change. He gives new life and he transforms us into Christ. 
So why is it that we do so poorly at change? Have we just decided that Jesus doesn't work that way anymore? Have we quit, as David said, putting our eyes on Jesus and, and committing ourselves to him to see what he's going to do? I think our lives as followers of Jesus Christ tend to become more like line one of the zipline tour. Line one is about 100 feet long. It's very short, never gets higher than 20 feet, and the altitude change is minimal. The main thing they want you to do is be sure that you can put the harness on correctly. They double check it. And then you learn that starfish maneuver. And as I think about that line one in terms of our lives, line one is easy and it's comfortable and you really don't have to trust much because, you know, if you're going to fall, you can just roll out of it, right? I think our lives are like that as followers of Jesus at times. We take our eyes off of him. We find life to be difficult. And so all we do is we just try to gather ourselves and, and make life comfortable. We want to regain some control. And as we're doing that, we're drawing farther and farther away from Jesus Christ. And, and even, even those of us that have been walking with Jesus for a long time, are capable of saying in, in hard times or difficult times or relationship conflicts to, to say, you know, I got to figure this one out. And in the process, we go back to line one. It's safe. It's comfortable. We starfish going zero miles an hour. And it's not that life-giving wild adventure that the relationship with Jesus Christ and following him is known as. So Paul, writing to the Philippians, says, I want to know Christ. I, I want to get back to this. In fact, I've known this, but I want to know it in a, in a deeper, more meaningful way. I want to experience life change. So how can we exchange, how can we gain transformation? How can we move back to trusting Jesus and, and experiencing his life-giving wild adventure? Well, we want to know Christ. We've been in a sermon series where we're seeking to know him in greater ways to understand him, that we might love him more deeply and follow him more completely. And then Paul adds this, which gives us great hope, a confident expectation that, that God will be at work. He says this after he says that I want to know Christ in the rest of verse 10, that I may know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Paul's great passion is to know Jesus Christ. Included in that concept is to experience the power of his resurrection to experience him transforming Paul even 25 plus years later after making him a new creature in Christ Jesus. Paul wants to know the power of his resurrection. What sets life in Christ apart for us is that we are given his power. 
that he resides in us by the Holy Spirit. Paul makes that clear in other letters. Romans 8, verse 11, that if we've trusted Jesus Christ, the Spirit resides in us and he gives us life. 2 Corinthians 3, that he transforms us one degree of glory at a time to becoming like Jesus Christ. We have that power. All throughout Jesus' ministry, we see his power at work, right? Power over disease, power over demons and evil, power over death. So that his power and his authority is exerted over every realm of humanity and over creation, over nature, and over evil. His power is greater than anything else. In fact, the, the word that Paul uses here is the word dunamis. In the Greek, we get our word dynamite from it. Able to overcome any resistance. That is what Paul is saying here. I want to experience the power of Jesus' resurrection in my life so that I walk with him. I become like him. I don't do the things that I don't want to do. Think about that. Jesus rose from the dead. God took every cell, every dead cell in his body and made it alive. Rolled away the stone and brought him out of the tomb. He was recognizable. He could eat food. He had a glorified body. He could go through walls into locked rooms, as Chris spoke about at the very start of our service. Jesus rose from the dead. This is not a power just to press on, to try harder, try harder, to accomplish a task. This is supernatural power, the very power of the living God that raised Jesus from the dead and that operates in the lives of all those who trust him. This is the power that produces Christ-likeness becoming more like him. And God applies that power to us today. It's a power that we see Paul praying for, not really praying for the power. He's praying in Ephesians 1 that the followers of Jesus would come to know and experience the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. I believe it was a common staple of his prayers. And Paul clarifies, what does that look, for, look like for us in, in Galatians 2.20? Uh, I want to read what access to that power looks like in, in a very familiar passage for those of you that have known Jesus for a long time. Paul wrote this, I have been crucified with Christ. This is a testimony of every believer. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And gave himself up for me. This power is resident in us because it's in Jesus Christ who indwells us through the Holy Spirit. This passage reminds us that Christ lives in us. We are Christ inhabited, Christ strengthened, Christ sustained. He lives in us. From the divine side, God lives in us and, and teaches us to obey all that he has commanded us and empowers us to do that. What is our role? It is faith. It is to trust Jesus Christ moment by moment. 
to access his power, to be able to respond to him in loving obedience, to let him bring the life change that we need. This new life in Christ accesses the power of his resurrection by faith. We live by trusting Jesus moment by moment. As he said, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So going back to Philippians 3.10, after Paul's clarification in Galatians 2.20, we realize that the same power which raised Jesus from the dead is, is inherent in us. It operates in us as we place our faith, as we trust Jesus Christ. Power that can heal all your diseases. Power that can calm the storms of your life. Power that can fend off evil. Power that can help you deal with sin that you return to or sin that arises in your life. Sin is inevitable because we live in a fallen world and we still have fleshly desires and a sin nature. But sinning is not inevitable because we can offer our bodies, our attitudes, our actions, our words as instruments of righteousness. And by faith, we can let Christ lead us to a loving obedience toward him. When I think of what God's power does in our lives, I can't help but think of some of the people in our own church family, like David and Sarah and others. I think of people who have found a lifeline through community in the body of Christ here because they relied on God's power to lead them to a community and to help them be vulnerable. I think of relationships restored because someone trusted Christ and took steps to forgive and reconcile. I think of addicts here who have found healing because they relied on God's power. I think of teachers getting through a rough couple of years because they relied on God's power through prayer. I think of those grieving the loss of a loved one, many with it just in the last two months who have found comfort in God and the power to get out of bed each morning. Our church family knows the power of Jesus Christ. And here's one more thing about God's power. One of the ways that we gain it most greatly and most powerfully is in suffering. That's one of the secrets of following Jesus, of Christianity, that in our weakness, in our suffering, in our sorrow, in our hardships, in our difficult circumstances, that we experience the power of Jesus Christ. It was Jesus who told Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power, says Jesus, is perfected in your weakness. And Paul says, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses then. I'm going to own them. I'm going to be transparent and acknowledge what's going on so that I can, by faith, live in the power of Jesus Christ. That's what we see going on in Paul's life. If we never had to endure pain and suffering, why would we need God? But it is in times of those suffering and sorrow that we draw closer to Jesus.
and experience his power in greater dimensions. No matter what you're going through right now as a follower of Jesus Christ, no matter how much you've tried to change and failed, no matter how much you think your life is a train wreck, Jesus is with you. He resides in you. And by faith, you can trust him moment by moment to lead you out, to restore you, to forgive you, to bring healing in your life. No matter what dead end you think you've hit, there is no dead end in Jesus Christ. There's the power of his resurrection. Well, Paul is aware that he's living between two resurrections. The first one that took place on the third day, we celebrate that today, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the one that he looked to to introduce power into his life, producing Christ-likeness. And the second resurrection is that final resurrection. On that final day when Christ will resurrect us in the end times. And all who are followers in Jesus Christ will have a glorified body. We shall be like Jesus for we shall see him as he is. We'll be recognizable. I guess we'll eat. Maybe we can teleport. Paul's aware of that, and he looks forward to that second resurrection. He fixes his eye on that when there will be a, a full and complete transformation spiritually and physically of his body. The present work of the Holy Spirit in us now is to lead us to holiness, to make us more like Jesus Christ, and his future work is to raise us as he raised Christ. He's committed to us for the long haul. And so this is what Paul says. He says in verse 11, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, I put somehow on there, some of your translations uh, use different words in there. And, and you read that and you kind of freak out a minute and you think, oh, whoa, what's, what's Paul saying? Is, is he thinking his salvation is not clear? No, he's, he's convinced his salvation is clear. In fact, he talks many times throughout his letters uh, about how convinced he he is, that he will, he can depart and be with Christ, and to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. What he's saying here is that he doesn't, he knows he will be with Jesus Christ. He doesn't know how that's going to come about. It may come about through the rapture, which he talks about in places like 1 Thessalonians 4. It may come about through his death at the hands of Nero. But he is convinced that there will be a resurrection of the dead, a final resurrection. And he knows, as we know for all believers, that we will be resurrected into a glorified body. The important thing here is that everyone will be resurrected. Those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, sins forgiven, hell canceled and heaven guaranteed will be raised to a glorified body. And those who have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ, who are still dead in their sins, will be raised to a day of judgment with Jesus Christ and separated from a loving God in a place called hell for all eternity. Those are the two things that will happen to people in the final resurrection. Paul knew that his resurrection in Christ was secure. And that's why he spent his life sharing the gospel. 
and proclaiming the power of Christ, not just to save us from our sins, but to continue to make us more like Jesus Christ, filled with character traits of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, and kindness. And so if you are here today and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we can fix our eyes on that day. And more importantly, we can live day by day with a moment by moment trust in Jesus Christ, experiencing his power, looking for it, anticipating it, identifying it, counting our blessings and giving thanks. And I would encourage you to do that, especially if you're stuck in some quagmire of no change in your life. Put your eyes on Jesus. But if you are here today and, and have not yet placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I exhort you to do that. For those who know Jesus as Savior, there will be a resurrection of the dead and a, and a reunion with God's people for all eternity. But for those who don't, there will be a final judgment. And so I invite you to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us that we are sinners and, and the payment for being a sinner is death and eternal separation from God. But this is what scripture says, and it reminds us of the supreme manifestation of God's love, making a way for us to have a relationship with God. In Romans 5, 8, we read this, that God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. The simple gospel is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin in your place, was buried and rose again. There's nothing that you can do. You can't try harder. You can't do all kinds of good things. You can't be better than everybody in this room combined and get your way to heaven. Paul makes it clear in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 that we don't do anything to earn him. He says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so today I challenge you, I exhort you, I plead with you to receive the gift of salvation to simply trust Jesus Christ where you're sitting in the silence of your heart. Let's bow our heads. And if that's the desire of your heart today, I, I invite you to pray, uh, to talk to God in, in a similar way to this. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I can't bring lasting change on my own. And even worse, I know that I don't measure up to your standards and my payment is death for all eternity. I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you died on the cross in my place for my sins. And I ask you to enter my life and forgive me of my sins. Thank you, Jesus, for answering my prayer and giving me the free gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you talk to Jesus that way for the first time in your life, your life is completely changed. It will never be the same. Jesus has forgiven you of your sins and given you the free gift of eternal life. And we celebrate with you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that we can know you and we can know you in better and greater ways. We can understand you and we can fall greater in love with you and be drawn to worship you. Thank you that you make this possible through the power that operates in our lives because of your resurrection. We give you thanks and we praise you in ways that we can't even begin to express how wholeheartedly thankful we are. But you are God and you are alive and we give you thanks in Jesus' name.
Amen. Would you stand with us?
Thank you for being with us this morning. Have a wonderful Easter.